201.39. We have a new world record in the marathon from Berlin this weekend. This is the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. Travis back alongside Ben. Ben, how you doing tonight, bud? To quote you, mommy, mommy. Mommy, mommy, what a performance. We are presented, as always, by Run in and there is a huge run-in giveaway associated with the podcast this week we are talking shoes apparel a watch a watch a garmin gps all the accoutrements that you might need as a runner we're giving it all away wait do i need that as a runner well it wouldn't hurt and all you need to do is check out the run-in accounts on facebook and instagram but you can get an extra entry right here on the Seconds Flat podcast. If you rate and review the podcast, we will double up on your entry to get you a chance at shoes, jacket, watch, squirrels nut butter, anti-chafe, some gooder glasses, we got a foot roller, socks, the works, the kit, the caboodle, the whole shebang. All right, so make sure you rate and review the Seconds Flat podcast. Now to Berlin. Kipchoge has done it. As we said, 201.39. He is your new world record holder. He had the fastest marathon ever run at Monza, but it was not under official conditions. So he's now a world record holder, splitting 61.06 on the front half, a well-paced front half. Pacers did a good job, but they didn't last very long. No, they only made it to right before mile 16. And yeah, we lost the last one at about the 25K mark. We dropped the last Pacer. But even without them, Kipchoge comes home in 60-33 for the (sighs) negative split. Brought it home. That is a world record by 1 minute and 18 seconds. Bettering Dennis Kometo's mark, also from Berlin. Kipchoge now with his ninth straight marathon victory. He has won 10 of the 11 career marathons he has been in. Is there any question? Undisputed greatest ever. Is it even a debate, Benji? Not at all. I don't think so. Um, There have been some other great ones, some guys with good streaks, but this is just unparalleled. To win marathon majors, Olympics, you got a world record on top of it. And marathon running's at an all-time best, and he just lowered the world record by three seconds per mile. A really remarkable performance. We have dropped now below four minutes and 40 seconds per mile for his average pace. Insanity. Can he be better? Obviously, we were clearly wrong about what he would do this week. We both thought he would win. We both thought he'd run really well. The weather actually turned out pretty nice, and even my best-case weather scenario that had him breaking the record still had him running like a minute slower than this. Yeah. Do we ever see better than 201.39 from Elliot Kipchoge? I want you on the record right now, Benjamin. He breaks 201 before his career is over. Oh. His pacers only made it to 25K. What <sighs> happens when the perfect day aligns and they make it to 30K? Think about how hard it is to get pacers to run at that clip 
in the heart of the fall marathon season, right, when you got guys who are trying to get their own money elsewhere, the whole the elites are gone. They're out of this mix. You got to get a really special group of pacers. I really think it's a matter of how deep Nike wants to dig into their pockets to see that barrier broken. If they're going to pay for those yeah, pacers at the right place. They're going to pay for like a Wilson Kipsang or a Jeffrey Kimmerer. Oh, wow, that's a big name. Yeah, but that's, isn't he one of the few guys that could do it? Oh, he could. I mean, you think about how quickly he can get through a half marathon, but I think he's kind of preoccupied by winning his own fall marathons. Yeah, but if Nike digs uh, deep enough and oh, pays these guys six figures. That is, yeah, that's deep pockets kind of stuff there. Yeah. I'm going to twist it a little bit and tell you what I really want to see. We have seen him in the United States before. Yes. But I would love to see him within the next couple years while he's still in his prime at either Boston or New York City. And you I don't love think those races. Well, it's a totally different kind of race mm-hmm. at Boston. And New York obviously is not going to be as fast as what he's run. We've seen him at Chicago before. And the reason I didn't mention it is because without Pacers, although the field is really strong there this fall, I don't think that's the opportunity to run fast. But I'd love to see him strategically race one of those big American races and, and win here. Not that he needs to. It's it's selfish. I would love to see it on American soil. I think it will be virtually impossible to turn down the payday to go back to Berlin or London. Maybe somebody else comes up with something new. I've heard the discussion of do we want to see Breaking 2 Part 2. Your thoughts? I don't really. I have zero interest. I have seen him run 201.39, which for my money is as good or better than... The two flat twenty five was it that he, that he ran under artificial conditions? Mm-hmm. I think this was as or more impressive. I don't know if we can see faster than this from him, but I'm not going to doubt him. I think he is superior to all of the competition out there. I think though we have to remember where he is in his career. And I don't want to say he's in like the twilight of his racing career because there's still a lot left in him. And it's all unknown. It, it is. But you know we have an Olympic cycle coming up in 2020 that he's probably thinking about. And Tokyo at that time of the summer plus Olympic strategy, it's not a place we're going to see a new world record most likely. And we have to consider how many more shots he gets and what the weather is like on those days. I believe, as we said last week, he's probably been in 201.39 shape before. Yes. But he just didn't have the opportunity present itself based on factors outside of his control for him to execute that race. And we got to see it, and we were weathering the remnants of Hurricane Florence here locally, and... I was up all night. It was super windy and I was kind of up anyway, wasn't sleeping well. And I thought, let's go ahead and watch this thing wire to wire. And I don't know that I have ever been so breathtaking watching one man run methodically with no competition, so relaxed for miles on end. And as we got near the end, a couple things that struck me. One at, I think, about 35K after he got one of his last water bottles, rather than just kind of pitching it aside, he tossed that thing into the crowd and just embraced how much love he was getting from the people of Berlin. 
And the second thing is, as we got late in this race, it looked like 202 was right about the number he was on, and he summoned something deeper to not just break the world record, but to go below that two-hour, two-minute mark. We certainly also have the technology and nutrition factors that get discussed. He is in a shoe that is a completely new generation and design that guys 30 years ago would have never dreamed of that certainly aids him. It may not make him noticeably faster, but it certainly helps his efficiency. And he has a nutrition advantage as well with more frequent water bottles, taking in uh, the Morton product that's a little easily, uh, a little more easily digestible than what we saw in the past. So those are some edges that he had, but I don't think for one second that takes away from what he did. And as those develop along with the modern runner, we'll see just how fast other people are compared to him, if they can ever touch this number in my lifetime. I'd like to think that I'm going to see somebody go below two hours, but I really think it's pretty exceptional what he did. When you talk about taking 78 seconds off a record that has already gone down just so low, Benjamin, if you had to put a year on it, when do I see somebody go below two hours in a real race? Uh, does time apply to heaven? <laughs> I don't know. Because I don't think you'll see it in your life. Okay. Gosh, that got really philosophical. <laughs> Man, I hope I do. I hope but you do too. It, it is, it's a really incredible performance, and I think... Among active runners, he is certainly the guy with the best shot. There's always somebody out there that you don't know that's coming along, and I hope we see it, but I just I think it'll be a little while. I hope I can stay healthy. We do want to mention, in the women's race, Gladys Chirono got her third Berlin victory. We were both wrong here again. Tiranish Dababa fell off the pace. Uh, great performance from Gladys Toronto as she wins as well at Berlin. It's just heating up, too. I, we're not going to see that men's world record go down again this fall, but we are going to see some great competition. Chicago now is three-ish weeks away, and then you got New York not long after that with some great fields. So we are excited to watch the rest of the fall marathon action. And we are going to jump right back into our fall marathon and half marathon training series. We're calling this mile 13, but it's really more of like a mile 12.5-ish episode because we got some feedback from our last one about the long run, some questions, some ideas that came up in discussions with folks, and also some emails we received. And we wanted to dive in a little bit deeper to some of the topics related to what we discussed last week. So a little shorter episode here this week, building off long run. And then next week, we are going to get into some race day and leading up to race day nutrition topics, and then also some race day ideas for preparation for the race itself and how to react and respond to what happens to you before and during your race. To the long run for the half marathon and marathon. Benji, I know you took some notes from the people on topics we heard. You want to just go ahead and throw out some of those questions I think you have? 
Yeah, so we were talking about the use of marathon pace during the long run. Mm -hmm. Um, So one of the questions offered to us was, when do I use marathon pace? Yeah, so the the idea here is when in my training cycle is marathon pace most appropriate? And I'm going to answer this speaking specifically to marathon training rather than half marathon training because I think the answers are different. And I know the question was presented to us by someone training specifically for a full marathon. You can use it at any point throughout your training cycle. I said last week, I think it's valuable, but I don't overstate it. I think it is complemented well by other paces. So I look at it this way. It's most valuable, in my opinion, in a specific period leading up to the race, that last chunk of your training cycle. So traditional training phases like we've talked about the base phase on here before and we addressed it like with fall cross-country season right a lot of times for 5k cross-country training or 8k cross-country training you have a base phase then you have a pre-competition phase a competition phase and then you have this kind of sharpening period at the end that is your peaking season for the last meet that you emphasize I would look at this in marathon training because the entire block is probably a little bit longer as that last phase as my preparation for the race is when I would emphasize marathon pace the most. You may do this in some way where you're using it throughout the entirety of your training cycle. The length of that cycle varies from person to person, 16, 20, 24 weeks, whatever you're doing. You could put it at the beginning and using it as maybe you're doing some progression runs where you end at this pace and just run a little bit of it. I've seen that in a a lot of uh, effective training plans. During the middle, you might use it sprinkled in with some other stuff. Uh, Me and friend of the show Kyle Kugler were out last week and we did some marathon pace work where we did 3Ks at marathon pace, and then we did some hill work in between and alternated. So there was this strength base to go with the marathon pace work and the idea of of doing some marathon pace work off those tired legs from the hills. Not for Kyle. He's he's a monster on the hills. He's hammering the hills. Tree trunk thighs. Yeah, that, that man was built to run hills. That, that's something you could use, and that is a workout based in several uh, elite coaches using something like that that I've kind of tinkered with and employed. But I, I do like it most as we get ready for the, the final weeks leading up to the marathon when you've already gained a lot of fitness, and you're really just sharpening in, and you want your body to know what that pace feels like and what it feels like to hold it over extended period of time. Remember, as we said last time, stuff faster than that, stuff slower than that can be just as valuable, but I would tend to emphasize it more, whether it's continuous or in intervals, however you might use it, I would use it more later in your marathon training cycle than earlier. So that later portion of the training cycle, Mm -hmm. can I use marathon pace too much and how much is too much? Ooh. I think the simple answer is yes, you could. I I don't want to do every workout at marathon pace. Uh, I would want still variation within my work. Um, I might use it with, uh, just to balance it on some of the stuff that we talked about last week, I might still have a fartlek 
if I'm going to a real hilly course for my race, I might still be doing hill work. And then I'm also doing marathon pace work and maybe something slower than it. Maybe I'm using tempos still. I might not do them quite as much here, just me personally. I might dial back a little on them. So I'm using it, you know, maybe it's something around it once every... 10 days or once every two weeks, something like that. And I that last block of the training cycle for me could be up to 10 weeks, maybe, uh, depending on how long your total cycle is. I think uh, to be more concrete for what I'm doing right now, when I am 11-ish weeks, I think, out from my marathon, I'll probably get into a phase where I use more marathon pace starting at about the eight-week-out mark. And again, it's trial and error. It's what seemed to work for me. Some athletes I work with will use it less, will use it more. But I think you could do, like anything we do, you could do in your training too much or too little. It's, it's a good balance in every approach that you have, in every facet of your training and style of workout and system that you're training. And just remember that often the thing you are training least is the thing you need most. Sometimes we just leave pieces out that we de-emphasize for whatever reason. We may need more of that. And maybe it's marathon pace for you, but maybe it's core work. You know, something more ancillary that you've completely left out. Maybe it's another pace that you haven't trained at. Again, maybe it's hills when you're going to run a really hilly half marathon or marathon. So just be cognizant of what you're training for and why. Very cool. Okay. So previously there was mention of this 90% of marathon pace run. Now to me, as someone who's never trained for a marathon. You've run one. I have ran one. Just didn't train for for it. Yep. This sounds like an incredibly easy pace. Just because I can hold marathon pace for 26 miles. So 90% of that should be cake. What is the benefit or why do this 90% of marathon pace run? This run, as an aside, to go back to your point about how it feels easy to you, it becomes more difficult and perhaps more valuable. I'm not sure. We'd have to study it more. The faster you are in a spectrum. So 90% of marathon pace to Kipchoge after what he did the other day, I'm doing math in my head. It would be somewhere around like 5'10 a mile. And so that's that's a pretty good clip that he is working at there for an extended period of time. To answer the question that was written in of why the 90% of marathon pace run could have value for you, again, as one piece in your portfolio where we're running a little slower than marathon pace, but for most folks, this is faster than your everyday pace. It's about efficiency. That is the value. It is both mechanical efficiency and teaching your body to run extended stretches at this distance to run efficiently, but it's also about efficiency of fuel use because it's going to teach your body to use fuel in a similar way to how you would use it on marathon race day. So we're starting to bridge closer to using more of those glycogen stores. We should be able to extend this out for a longer period of time more comfortably. You may work at this pace for 
14, 16, 18 miles, depending uh, on your level of training and your speed at which you plan on racing. I tend to lock this into a time range, and if I can run this pace for two hours, that's a really quality run. If I do that, I'm probably not coming back to it again for a couple weeks. I'm alternating it with other long run styles. But to flip this and look at it from another perspective, it's less intense than marathon pace running. So you don't have to beat yourself up. We wouldn't go into training and run marathon pace for 20 miles every weekend. That's pretty serious stuff. It's nuts. Yeah. It complements it. We're always buttressing paces. We're building a framework where we're running both slower and faster, challenging ourselves in different ways. But the thing I may like most about it is completely mental. It has a really similar level of mental focus as marathon pace running does. When you're out there just grinding at that pace where you're pushing a little, but you're the the gas pedal is not completely down. You have to push, you have to be mentally engaged to run this pace. You can't just completely detach. And you have to be ready to do it for a really long time. I mentioned last week that I had recently done one where I put this in for about 14 miles of an 18 mile run. My most recent long run is a variant of this in which I went at about 85% of marathon pace. And then I closed with some progression at the end. So it was like 13-ish miles averaging around 85%, so a little bit slower again. And then I closed by going down to marathon pace for 2K, half marathon pace for 2K, and somewhere between 10K and half marathon pace for a mile to finish up. So kind of a hybrid of the progression runs we talked about last week and the 90% run that we spoke about as well. Again, with all these rotate them with other styles of long runs and my opinion is the best bet so if you're just building you start with the easy one then you move on to rotate the easy with a run like this that has quality and then ultimately when you're more advanced as a marathoner or a half marathoner you start to take different styles of long runs of quality and alternate those each seven or ten days or whatever your cycle is I think it can be argued this is psychologically beneficial for people of all different paces. Yeah. But we were talking about how this is almost more valuable for the faster people because it is a harder pace, that 90% for like a Kipchoge Mm -hmm. than say a URI. Yep. Is there a point where, say I'm a 10-minute per mile pace guy, is there like a point where I'm running so slow that it's not beneficial to me? Or is it just a stepping stone to building that, like you were saying, progressing your long runs through a block. I think it is I I do think it is less valuable for the runner whose marathon pace is really similar to what they're doing every day, the person who's just trying to complete the run. For that person, I do think this has less value than for Kipchoge or for you or I. I think this is really valuable at our level and for folks who are on different ends of the spectrum. So I think the person who's pushing two hours can find a lot of value in this. I think the person who's pushing three hours can find a lot of value in this. And I think the person who's pushing four hours can find a lot of value in this. But for the folks who their marathon pace looks very similar to what they're running every day when they're out there, 
yeah, I might not use this as much. I might try to employ other methods to build, for example, strength in a long run by, say, putting some hills in there just to get them used to some late run fatigue as an example uh, of something I might use more frequently instead of this. Speaking of a way to implement uh, late run fatigue, a question uh, was asked, how can I use fart licks in my long run? And if you could supply specific examples. Wonderful question, because we mentioned that this is a great method, but we didn't really get into a lot of the specifics. Yeah, I think we made it more a distance-oriented fart lick rather than yeah, we, a time. Yeah, we or... did. We, we really looked at more from an interval perspective mm-hmm. as opposed to the traditional Scandinavian speed play that tends to emphasize an object in the distance that you run toward or doing this on cycles of time. So I would recommend two different types of fartlek surges you could employ in your long run. One would be a timed surge. I'll give an example. Charlie Spedding, who was a somewhat of a surprise medalist at the 84 Olympic marathon in LA, really, really hot race. He kind of hid underneath the track and didn't really warm up much just to stay cool. And he had a great build. And in his autobiography, From Last to First, at the back he has his training cycle that he used building to LA 84. And he references a long run in which he would warm up for X number of minutes. And then he would go into cycles where he did one minute harder, four minutes back to his normal pace. Then two minutes harder four minutes back to his normal pace, then four minutes harder, and four minutes back to his normal pace, and then he would just repeat this, a ratio of one to four, then two to four, then four to four. And he would move through this cycle several times, and then he would cool down out of it. He wanted to prepare himself for racing. Remember, it is racing. We are still competing both against ourselves and against our competition. So he calculated, what if there's a 60-second move someone makes and I need to react? Or what if it's twice or four times that amount? That is part of the beauty of using the fartlek run. And so he did it on time cycles. You could surge on the mile, though, too. Every time you hit a mile marker, you could surge for 15 30, 60, 90 seconds, whatever the number is, you can do all sorts of variations. But these replicate racing, and they also replicate difficult courses really well, where your pace changes a lot. And so that's why these were critical to Coach Bill Squires and the Greater Boston Track Club. They love to use these. Pete Ray at Zap Fitness in Blowing Rock, North Carolina, they have had an incredible season here lately. They they have had some great performances in the marathon. They will use surging long runs like this. They can be very valuable to you if, again, used appropriately. They don't need to be every long run, but they could be a great option for you. One of the things I most like about this long run is the mental aspect once again because I find myself getting lost in this run and then being like, holy cow, I just ran 18, 20 miles, whatever it is, and I worked hard, but it kind of flew by because I was bouncing back and forth between paces, and it really promotes a different sort of mental engagement. 
but tinker with the numbers on this. Use it as you see fit. And again, it can just be long quality work. It doesn't have to be a long run. So we mentioned before the three minute on, one minute off, or one minute float variation. If you warm up and cool down, you can do a huge number of cycles of that. We'll do it for up to an hour. That's a great long fart leg that's going to get you really quality miles, particularly for a half marathoner. These may be even better for a half marathoner because they can be implemented with your longest work and it doesn't have to be a long run. It just becomes that quality workout with a decent amount of mileage. Is that dog hunt? Barf. Barf. (laughs) (laughs) I I had a question, but I don't know that it pertains to long running. Okay. What do you think? Uh, so you had mentioned with the fart licks how it's a great simulator for what it's like to be racing. Mm-hmm. But I feel like a lot of people who aren't up front forget that a marathon is a race yeah. and not a time trial. What would be like some words of advice to this person who's there? Maybe they're trying to break 330 for the first time, but they're chilling back in like 100th place. Yes, that's a great point. And because of the influx of more runners into half marathons and marathons, there are fewer people racing at the head of the pack, right? And this is the beauty of this becoming more accessible to everyday runners. We're all out there challenging ourselves at 13.1 and 26.2 miles. I would remind you, you are racing, and the thought of how you stay engaged in racing to hit that time, like you mentioned 3.30, correct? Yes. I would find very often that the runner trying to get to 3.30 for a full marathon, or let's just do the equivalent half marathon, you're trying to get to 145 for your half marathon, that runner late in the race may be better suited to get to that number by not just worrying about splits. you got to stay under control early. I get that, and I'll race this long. You don't want to just go out and race the fastest guy and blow up. That's the worst-case scenario. Negative splits or even splits are going to work the best for you. But late in the race, maybe it's the last 10K of a marathon or the last 5K of a half marathon, I think you're going to push yourself to a faster time by having a singular focus. I am hunting down the runner right in front of me. It is predator and prey, and I am going after the next runner in front of me, and then once I get to that runner, I have one goal. What do you think that goal is, Ben? The next guy. It's the next guy that I can beat. Or girl. Yes. It's the next target that you have. That becomes your focus. You start to get away from worrying too much about the watch, from holding back perhaps because you know you're comfortably under your goal. Just start attacking people. And if you give a few back at the very end, who cares if you caught dozens between 20 and 25? If you give eight back, for example, between 25 and 26.2. That's how I would approach racing for the person who is not in the front of the pack. Gosh, I got chills and flashbacks going on. Makes you want to race, right? Makes me want to move on to the next question. (laughs) Thank you, sir. Which is... In people's training cycles, you hear about them getting up to 20 miles as their longest long run or whatever that number is. How many times do I go my longest distance per training cycle? This was a great question because we didn't hit on this. We said some numbers that you might use. But what is the value of just one run at a certain distance? If you get to 20 miles, 
but it's the only run you did in your training, it's less valuable than if you did it as part of a full portfolio of great training. No one day makes or breaks your marathon. Everything is part of your process. Yes, the long run is very important, but I would take this and look a little differently. I would want to think about what is the average of a certain number of longer efforts you had. I think that creates a better data point for you to look back on, and you're going to have to experiment and learn here. For me, I reflect back on a five-run average, meaning I will add up the five longest runs in my cycle, divide it by five, and figure out what the average number was for about how long were these runs. So I did this for my last uh, marathon training cycle. My number averaged out to almost exactly 20 miles, right? And it was kind of a fluke. I didn't plan on that. I had a couple things where I went over, and I had one that was right on 20. And then I had a couple of actually just longer workouts that were in the 19-ish range that added in there as well. So I'm constantly retooling that based on my experiences and what goes well. I don't think that, to answer your question, Ben, you need to run that longest distance five times, all right? So if 18 is your number, you don't necessarily need to get there five times. But I would be thinking about how much I get to numbers close to that. So let's say you're in a half marathon training cycle. Your goal is just to finish the race and you're trying to get to 12 miles as your longest run. How many times am I getting to nine or 10 miles? Those are gonna have value to you as well. You might only get to 12 once in your preparation. Or if you're trying to really master the half marathon and you're getting to, let's say it's 16 or 18 miles for your longest run. How many times are you running 12 or 14 to support that? That's gonna have value. So it's hard to answer how many times we're gonna do that longest distance, but just know you wanna have some complementary distances that are just a little bit shorter that you can use as well. Because again, to go back to last week's discussion of the value of the long run and the and the pace that you do your long run, the increased red blood cell count. I simplified last time, I think, when I said it with capillaries, but increased capillary density, all this stuff that's going to make it easier to move oxygen through your body for you to run as a more efficient beast. That is the goal. Hopefully that answered the question there, kind of beat around it a little bit, but I think we got to the point. Yeah. So real world example, mm-hmm. uh, your last buildup. Yes, sir. What was the farthest you ran? Mm-hmm. Cause you were mentioning this five, mm-hmm. these five runs. What did those five runs look like for you in a number? Sure. So it, this was not necessarily strategically laid out at exactly these numbers. Mm-hmm. A little bit of it um, played on conditions outside of my control like time and weather and how I felt then also was was part of that. I think the longest run I went to last time was 21.7. I do not think you need to go that far to run a really good marathon. I think you can get to 18 or 20 and run a very good, very fast marathon, one better than I've ever run. 
I know other folks who really like to go even farther than that to get to 22 even or 24 and have quality inside that. But I think what I did there was without the log in front of me, I worked it kind of pretty easy paced for an extended period of time, got down to probably I'm going to guess 80 to 85% of marathon pace after 16, 17 miles, and then jumped into a progression finish, where really the first entire half of that run was really pretty easy. I was just kind of out trotting along. And then I ended at a segment where I did like 90% of marathon pace for a couple miles, then I went to marathon pace for a couple miles, and then I went just a little faster than that for like a mile and a half or, or two miles maybe, something like that. Spicy. Uh, so that was in there. There was um, there was one other progression long run in there. There was a long, I want to say about uh, between 20 and 21 miler where like 18 of it was at 90% of marathon pace. There was a almost 20 miler between 19 and 20 miler where I had done, I think I did four times 5K at marathon pace. Mm-hmm with a 1k float in between and then a little warm up and cool down and then the last one was a workout that we discussed last week where i did warm up 30 minutes at marathon pace four times five minutes half marathon pace and then 30 minutes again at marathon pace and that was another run that was in that 20-ish mile range So that gives you some tangible examples. In my case, because I'm a pretty experienced runner, none of them were necessarily just easy miles the whole way through. I tell you this, though, if I were going to do some sort of overtraining like folks do where they get up to 26.2 or they get up above it, which I don't believe I will ever use in my training, if I were going to, the first time I did it, I would probably just try to do it kind of easy to see what it feels like because that's the way we build. The first time I did 20 miles, I didn't necessarily go out and hammer 20 miles I tried to get that time on my feet knowing what it feels like to run 20 miles well cool I think that brings us to a good point to go into our last question great which is how do I dial in the long run pace this is a a tough one uh, about dialing in pace and I think the question you need to ask yourself if you're considering the, the the pace as being problematic for you I think you need to ask yourself, are you a slave to your watch? And if that answer is yes, then we need to make changes. And we'll get into those a little bit more. But I think the second thing you need to ask yourself is, am I a novice or beginning runner? Because it is much more difficult for those folks to dial in pace. It takes time. So there is a simple answer to this question. It is run more often, run more weeks, months, and years. Most runs available. Get the most runs available to paraphrase legendary local runner James Quattlebaum. You want to get as much practice as possible and pace will become more natural to you. After years and years of doing this, I can almost always tell you within a few seconds what pace I'm running. It just it's with practice and time, and you'll get there. So that's it's the easy answer. You'll get there. Just keep practicing. But to the watch, I would say sometimes we need to take the training wheels off. The training wheels allow us to ride that bicycle, and we don't fall off. But it's really hard to ride that bicycle really fast. 
with the training wheels on. We can't use the bike to its greatest possible degree. I do not see anyone in the tour going through the mountains in France with training wheels on, right? That's silliness. So, taking the training wheels off doesn't necessarily need, mean excuse me, that you need to get rid of your watch. If you have a GPS watch, fantastic. Use it, but use it the right way. I would say if you want to set it on the auto splits, that's great. Just don't look at it during the run and do this for a few weeks at least. Give yourself time where all you do is you upload that data and then you reflect back on it after X number of days where you can actually use it for some value and you can start to see trends in your running. If you have a traditional watch where you're splitting it yourself on short runs and easy runs, you may wanna to try to make mental notes as you go of what those paces are and then write those down when you get home and do not worry about them. Come back to them in a few weeks and start to compare data points. Doing that, we can start to see what we naturally trend toward running. And you can also see what you did within workouts, the places where it's mentally important. Like we've talked about a lot of mental engagement for half marathon and marathon long run training. Those might be the places where you start to veer off pace. And when we notice ourselves veering off pace, our first instinct is to dial the pace back up. Sometimes we hit that dial a little too much. Yes. So I would say it's really better to err on the slow side. When you're working on pacing, just remember that and practice it. And you're probably taking less risk by doing so as far as injury. You're taking less risk there. And as a result, you're keeping yourself healthy and giving yourself time to continue to develop and grow this skill. Benji, that was it for the questions? Yes, sir. Fantastic. Any other thoughts you'd like to add? Kipchoge, marathons, long runs? Just hit me with whatever you got. All I can say is come visit us. Come visit us. Come visit us. We, we want to talk to you. Yeah, we'd love to talk about these topics. So visit us or send us an email, secondsflatpodcast at gmail.com. Also, if you're looking for an individualized training plan, remember you can contact us for that as well. Love to help folks reach their goals in running and racing. We'll be back next time with more on nutrition and some of the race, race day approach stuff that could be really valuable if you're running one of the upcoming fall marathons. We got you with a Chicago preview coming up here soon. But remember first, subscribe, rate, and review the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. And don't forget about our competition. Because you will win that contest. You'd be entered to win. I overstated yeah. it a little bit. You'd be double entered to You'll win. You'll be double entered to win, so you're twice as likely to win if you follow through those channels for entering the contest. Rate and review the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. We appreciate so much you being our listeners. We're having a lot of fun with this marathon, half marathon discussion, and we were really appreciative of great feedback about the long run. Look forward to seeing you again next week. Take care.